Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your mind. They lost the This podcast is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. As many of you know, there has been a tremendous amount of personal growth that has had to occur in order for me to create the Project Unchained podcast for you. It can be incredibly scary to be vulnerable, let alone publicly vulnerable. And a few years ago, there's no way I would have been able to have the emotional capacity to do something like this. I've had to create the confidence within myself. No one was going to do that for me. And in doing this work, I discovered that meant being vulnerable. And guess what? You can do it too. Creating more self-confidence begins with a strong sense of belonging. You create belonging through internal validation. Well, how do you do that, you might ask? I've got you covered. I've created an online self-development course that is designed specifically to help you build a strong sense of belonging within yourself. The ability to internally validate your existence, have the confidence you desire, and grow self-worth you never thought possible. The Belonging Blueprint is now here and will be a guide for you every step of the way. To get more information and enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. Super excited to have you here on another episode. Uh, today, I have a special guest, friend, and lifter of mine, Shana Record, and she has a wonderful background, plethora of experience uh, in life, in education, in her career path, uh, and has a lot of really good insight and perspective to bring to the table in terms of um, a lot of the mental game for lifters, but also like how like your mental health as a person can impact you as a as an athlete and how those things intertwine and interplay. And it's really good to hear a lot of her perspective. I was super excited to learn about it and work with her um, as a lot of what she brings to the table aligns with a lot of stuff that I also believe in and talked about in some previous episodes, uh, particularly the one on my Raw Nationals recap that I talked about a few episodes back, um, Why Athletes Will Benefit from Self-Care, episode 17. Um, so there's some interplays between those two episodes. Uh, so anyway, without further ado, Shana, thank you very much for joining me today on this podcast episode. I very much appreciate your time. How are you doing today? 
Uh, I'm doing good. Today's uh, today's a really, really good day. Did some coaching this morning, uh, coaching my volleyball people out on the beach, and I'm watching it rain outside. So it looks like the universe was on our side as far as timing. And looking forward to training this afternoon. So it's a good day. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds that does sound like a good day. Um, to get us get us started, how about uh, if you could give us a bit of an intro about yourself and who you are and what you do and familiarize the audience with uh, with your background? Yeah, um, I have a bit of a mixed background, like I think a lot of your guests do, uh, which is really cool. Right. I like the diversity that's there. Um, my name is Shana Record. Uh, I am born and raised in Southern California. Played sports my whole life, started lifting when I was a freshman in high school. I played college volleyball and I majored in and in kinesiology and got a minor in psychology and then went on to get my master's degree uh, in kinesiology from Cal State Fullerton. Uh, and the emphasis of that master's degree was performance enhancement. So it's a split between strength and conditioning and sport and performance psychology. And from there, I went on to work with the army and work with soldiers, teaching them uh, mental toughness and performance psychology strategies, working both in the classroom and in the field with them. And from there, I started working with uh, the Department of Homeland Security, working with different agencies there, uh, doing something similar, working on more cognitive enhancement skills paired with performance psychology. And from there, I started doing some freelance consulting, and I now coach volleyball pretty much full time. Right on. That's uh, sounds like quite a fun, like uh, plethora of experiences with working with the different groups. Oh my God. I feel so, I feel so fortunate. Like who, who gets to use their master's degree, like <laughs> in their <laughs> career, you know what I mean? I, I feel so, so happy. And, you know, so many people get to college and they, they change their major a few times, right. you know, which, which makes sense. You know, I love that people are exploring and willing to change and adapt, but I knew since I was like eight years old that I wanted to, uh, um, that I wanted to do some kind of kinesiology, some kind of like performance enhancement type something, you know, fell in love with strength and conditioning, fell in love with like the mental game, even doing chores at home. I try to do them like as fast as possible and try to be like optimized in everything I did. So I'm really fortunate that I found that passion early and have been able to just kind of stick with it. Right. What, what about your, your background, like your childhood kind of inspired that and cultivated that in your life? That's a really good question. And I reflect on that a lot. Uh, my family, I was very, very close with my family. Um, it was one of 10 cousins on my dad's side. And both of my parents were just like phenomenally high performers. Um, they were both both the like best senior boy and girl athlete in their high school. My dad um, played both football and baseball in college. My mom would have done multiple sports in college, had Title IX been around at that time. Um, and then all of my cousins were also, and aunts and uncles were just phenomenally high performers. My brother is a firefighter engineer in Southern California. My sister went to West Point. Um, so I just, I grew up and that was the culture in 
with the people that I cared about the most and spent the most amount of time with was that you did the best you could at what you were doing, no matter what it was. Right. Did, did that put a lot of pressure on you being surrounded by so many high performers to, to like, oh man, I'm surrounded by all these high performers. Like <laughs> now I have to show up and, and be better. Such a good question. I definitely put that pressure on myself. That pressure was not put on me by anyone else, truly. I mean, the the standards were high for sure. I remember in middle school, I brought home a B in math. And I remember like kind of, you know, I was finding my voice at that point. So I was having this conversation with my parents and I was like, well, my friends get paid for like, they get, you know, five bucks for getting a C and 10 bucks for getting a B and 20 bucks for getting an A. And my parents were like, okay, that's great for them, Shana. But like, that's not, they're not you. And you know that you're capable of more. So we're not going to reward you for doing less than you are actually capable of. And so it was then that I realized like, oh, it's not just about what other people are doing. It's about finding your own capacity for your own capability. And I've continued to relearn that lesson a lot growing up. So yes, there was an inherent sense of pressure of like, being able to be good at things immediately because everyone else in my family was pretty much. But that pressure truly only came from my own expectations of myself. And it wasn't like there was no external pressure there. Right. That, that sounds really neat that, uh, what, what you said about how your, your mom put it, that you're, you're not them. Like you're, you're supposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. perform to what your capacity is and what your level is. And it sounded like a really neat way to like do that and lift you up without necessarily putting that pressure on you and, you know, causing, causing you hardships and mental hardships from that. Totally. Yeah. When it came to performance and really finding my own like potential, um, I felt very supported without there being a lot of pressure. I feel really, really fortunate. And that wasn't just present with my parents. It was present with my aunts and uncles too. Like I come from a family of like coaches and athletes and musicians and they just really enjoy the process of being good at things and also helping to develop other people be good at things too. Right. Which is is interesting because I think there's a distinct moment I remember at one of my nephew's football, peewee football games. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was just, it was gross. Like sitting there in the stands and, you know, they're kids like it's peewee football. They're not even in like seventh or eighth grade yet. Like I can't remember exactly how old, but young. And like one of the parents like stood up and was like, oh, rip his head off. And I'm like, man, what is this? What? Why? Like they're kids. Let them have fun. Like that's not how we lift them up. And so I think about like how a lot of people and a lot of kids get that pressure put on them from their parents, that external mm-hmm. pressure, uh, mm-hmm. it, almost in a sense, like their parents want their kids to do what they were never capable of achieving or accomplishing. And it puts this weird pressure on the kid. And at the end of the day, from my understanding of it and my experiences with it, it puts a lot of, you know, it traumatizes the kid. Yeah. And so it's cool to hear yeah, absolutely. that wasn't placed on you by 
-hmm. by people who know, obviously, how to cultivate that high performance. I mean, you're totally right. And it's so interesting. It's not just like, I mean, I, I see that a lot in, in the coaching world um, that parents put pressure on their kids. And it's not just the parents that couldn't do those things, but it's also the parents that have these identities of being a very high performer in everything else that they do too. And tying that identity to the outcomes of their performances. Let's say that we have um, a parent who, you know, played D1 lacrosse and because they were really good at what they did they like they identify as a high performer and tie that identity to those outcomes like you know winning games and getting those scholarships and so parenting is absolutely a performance you know it's something that you do that matters to you and there are standards to it and you can be good or bad at it you know we can always get better um but there's you know a, a scale of capability there and those that tie their abilities to outcomes are going to tie their identity as a good parent or bad parent. I'm like using air quotes here um, to their kids' outcomes. What are their kids capable of? And so if their kid isn't executing in a way that they think is indicative of like their own high performance standard, then they are perceiving themselves as a failure. And a lot of people really can't handle that. Um, so much so that their brain doesn't even recognize it. It's really interesting, uh, like bringing up the concept of having a fixed versus growth mindset. Right. And thinking about having a, like bringing parenting into that conversation. Got to throw it out there. I am not a parent. So (laughs) I have 27 plant babies (laughs) and they're thriving, let me tell you. But, um, you know, I speak to these things only as an outside perspective and in the coach's shoes, not from a parenting perspective. So I can, I can't even speak to the challenges of being a parent and, you know, seeing your kid not perform to the standards that you think that they should. Um, But you're right. I do see that a lot. The like, the shouting from the sidelines right and you know parents in that position might believe that they're being supportive when in actuality they're really harming the development of their kid or even just the the coachability and teachability right yeah it it places a high emphasis on on outcome being the only way and the only way Mm -hmm. to validate what's going on and i know Recently for me with raw nationals and during that prep, like that was definitely a big struggle for me because I was dealing with some stuff that wasn't allowing me to make progress the way I wanted to. Um, and it was interesting mm-hmm. when I connected with myself on the idea that, Hey, I don't have to validate myself with PRs. Like I, like I was putting right. that pressure on myself. And the second I connected with that and removed that, like everything turned around, my body started feeling better. Uh, and I ended up having a really good time. So I, I think about that. What, from your experiences, what do you see and how does that focus on the outcome detract from a person's ability to display their athletic capacity? Wow. Okay. That's, <laughs> like There are entire like dissertations and books written about having an outcome focus versus a process focus. Um we can't always control outcomes. And if we are tying something that is uncontrollable to 
our identity. So for you, validating your identity as a coach and as a lifter through PRs means that the only way that you would feel like a valid coach or a valid lifter is if you were consistently hitting PRs. And we all know that there's, you know, like an innumerable amount of variables that impact performance and at least like performance outcomes. And we can control everything that we can sleep, recovery, nutrition, programming, all of those things can be super aligned. And even still the outcomes might not be what we want. And so we feel like we're failing. And when we feel like things are uncontrollable, we start to feel helpless and we start to do anything that we can. Well, you know what, next week I'm really going to get after it. And then it doesn't happen and doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And we start to lose those like feelings of self-worth. And we just, I mean, people can spiral, people get burned out. Um, people quit a sport entirely or they can take the route that you took and like do their really hard work of self-reflection and think like, well, why, why am I putting this pressure on? Where is this pressure coming from? And how can I work on that? Because pressure creates stress and, you know, stress can be good, but it also does add to our allostatic load. Um, can you define that so for somebody that might all... not know what allostatic load is? <laughs> well, it's uh, the amount of inherent like physiological energy that we expend overcoming stress. Um, like it, the load that we have, you know, of I have to go to the grocery store today and then I have to lift and then I have to go laundry and every single one of those things contributes to this load of stress on our, on us. Um, and it just takes energy to overcome. Right. And there's only so much that you can handle there. Right. So a lot of that to me sounds like, or something that, that I thought about when you're saying that, like, even if all the things that you could control were in alignment, right? Your nutrition, your mm-hmm. training, your programming, uh, your sleep, things of that nature. It seems like a lot of times when those things are all aligned and working well, people then also place a higher expectation on the outcome and performance because, mm-hmm. hey, all these things are are perfect. I had better go out there and perform. I better go out there and hit these right. numbers like and and just have like this massive performance that blows everybody's minds. And then they go out there and suffer or stifle. Like what about, Mm -hmm. there's a couple layers to that. The expectations, like how can somebody go about removing some of that expectations in a productive manner? Because to me, it's that expectation that really sets up the environment for that poor performance when things are aligned. When you figure it out, Ross, will you let me know? (laughs) That's, I mean, that's a a journey that I've really started to walk down doing RPE training specifically. And I I worked with um, a very high level lifter. And, and we talked about this, that, you know, frequently he would go in with expectations and how not to. Um, So I have a whole list of shoulds, but fuck, they're hard to do. (laughs) Right. Um. So the strategies that he and I identified were right. We, so it's important to identify what success looks like prior to a performance. So like, 
let's stop being abstract. Let's get like an actual example happening. So like, let's say that you have like a workout, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're doing a training session. Um, and the expectation that we have of a certain RPE is a certain weight. Like if I, like this week, I think you have me doing, um, triples up to a nine. Right. So I have an expectation of if I'm going to squat on one day and my triple to a nine should be a certain amount of weight. If I am not deliberate, I'm going to walk in the gym and think, well, this is what I should hit. This is what my, that my website says that what my number is like supposed to be. And I'm going to plan accordingly. Like this is what I'm, this is how I'm going to warm up. And this is going to be my, you know, my first warm up set, my second warm up set, my third, this will be, this will be to a seven and this will be to an eight and this will be to a nine. And then as soon as something doesn't move, like we think it should, the like, oh shit, like starts coming in the back of our head and we automatically start thinking like, well, what if, well, what if, well, what if, oh, this isn't moving well and this isn't moving well. And what we should do, what a more effective approach should be in order to eliminate that expectation of what that load should be for a triple to a nine is taking five minutes (laughs) sitting in the car or sitting on the turf warming up or on the bike or whatever and identifying, well, what does success look like regardless of load? What does that third rep at a nine look like? What do like, what's my movement look like for me? I'm working on, um, right. Keeping my knees straight, not having some of that knee cave, um, and making sure that my hips don't shoot up too high. So for me, a triple to a nine. If it's going to be in a nine, I understand that that third rep isn't going to be perfect. It's going to feel really challenging. It's going to come out of the hole pretty quick and then it's going to slow down a little. But what success looks like is minimal knee cave, minimal hip rise, and finishing that rep knowing that I, or actually is thinking like I probably have one more. And then racking the weight and that's it right so identifying what success looks like behaviorally as opposed to the weight on the bar am i good at that no (laughs) am i better than i was yes um so taking those you know five minutes to identify what that looks like behaviorally and then pairing it with and i think we've talked about this some imagery like get in your head and think um, from a first person perspective, like close your eyes, really f- feel the environment. Um, what does my grip feel like on the bar? Where are like working your way down your body? Like where are my elbows? Um, what does it feel like in the tension in my back? Where like, how are my glutes firing? All of those things, like actually going through what does a true nine feel like? And put yourself in that movie. You are that main character and take it from the first person perspective. What does it feel like when you do something to a nine and also pair that with the third person perspective, because we have this fantastic technology. We all have these wonderful little computers that live in our pockets and we all film ourselves. So in your head from a third person perspective, what does a nine look like? And then you already have that idea, that picture of, success that that's the line in the sand of this is what it looks like. And once I hit this, 
that's what success looks like, regardless of what the load on the bar is. So the expectations get shifted from outcome and load to behavior. Right. Yeah, I like that. I. Is there anything that you have found that's like more beneficial, more specific than that? Um, I don't know if it's more specific. I think it might be less specific <laughs> than that. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, what I try to do that helps me is create openness around the situation and try to create openness to the experience and go into it from the mindset of whatever this experience is, it's in mm-hmm. it comes with important lessons for me to learn and grow from mm-hmm. regardless of it might not be what I want it to be, but it's going to be what I need it to be mm-hmm. regardless again of load. Right. The session is going to be what I need it to be, not what I want it to be. And I think when I get into those head spaces and get into that kind of perspective, um, I definitely tend to have better sessions. They're more enjoyable. They're more productive. I'm more in tune with my body and my movements through space. And mm-hmm. I make smarter choices in terms of what the right load is and not what Mm -hmm. the load that I want is and becoming attached and fixed on, Oh, well, I'm supposed to do it by three at nine today. That's going to be, you know, 200 kilos. That's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's no, there's no bending or breaking from that. I'm, I have, I will it that way. And like that Mm -hmm. can be, I feel like that can be one of our pitfalls as athletes as we are, strong-willed in that we want to create something and do do that work and we're ready we're ready and hungry to do the work and we're not scared of that work and so um learning when i am doing something like that and start thinking like oh this is what i want and the second i start thinking well this is what i want okay i need to i need to switch here because it's driving me Mm -hmm. in the direction that doesn't really serve me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just being, that's a really great, simple way to put it. Being open to identifying what you need versus having a set definition of what you want. Um, Because we can want things all day long. um, And we frequently want things that aren't good for us. Right. I think another, another strategy as far as minimizing expectation or at least yeah making it less rigid um i think that aiden does this because aiden rotor trains at the bar um pretty sure that he goes in with a range of like this is a range of what i would like to hit like i'm going to be good with anywhere in here um so that at least makes the expectation more flexible and then you can work like you know if it's really hard for you to min- like to eliminate expectations right we can't ex- like if we, we can't expect to go from being very expectation driven to not overnight right. so we have to have like some kind of what's the step forward so instead of having a hard number this is what i need to hit make it a range and then widen that range you know make that your your progress of minimizing your expectations um but for a performance that isn't so objective like weightlifting. Um, my mentor taught me this and 
It is identify your good enough. So what is good enough going to be for this? Well, I, she taught me this when we were talking about putting together a like performance psychology training for a very high level weightlifting gym that was uh, in California where we were working and we were working on this and she was like, so I, I need you to know that, you know, there's a probability that it won't go perfectly, Shana. And, and my brain like kind of short circuited. I was like, what do you mean? Don't be perfect. <laughs> um, and she said, so let's identify our good enough. When we leave and, you know, the doors close, how are we going to know that what we did was good enough for us? And that really helps to minimize like those ideations of perfection Mm -hmm. is identify like, well, what's good enough? What do I want them walking away with? What's the bare minimum here? And then being able to move forward from there. Yeah. I like that too. I like that too. Mm -hmm. Cause I, and I like the idea of, you know, having the range too, because at least for, for training and stuff like that, when we, when we talk about that, we don't want to go in, you know, I recognize that a, a pitfall of my idea of going in, being open to the experience. Like you also can't be too open to the point where you don't have a plan, mm-hmm. right? You still want to have a plan right. like, Oh, today's going to be, you know, 200 plus or minus 10. Like that's, that's kind of the range that I feel like I'm in today. Um, but I'm going to also still remain open to adapting that plan based on whatever comes up during that session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I often think about that I really wanted to pick your brain about here in this episode was mm-hmm. like, I, I look at it as we're people first and athletes second. So if we take mm-hmm. care of the person, the person's going to take care of the athlete, especially when we're talking about this realm from uh, a mental health aspect and a psychological aspect. Like if we're a basket case as a person, we're going to be a basket case as an athlete, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at it and think about it with like, there's been several ridiculously high level athletes who were incredibly talented, drafted early in the round of the pinnacle of their sport. Um, like Johnny Manziel is probably the one that most notably comes mm-hmm. to mind. And like he's supposed to be this next amazing generational quarterback and leader in the NFL and his career basically flops and fails because he has so many off the field issues. Mm-hmm. And I look at that as like, he didn't fail as an athlete. He failed as a person. Right. And so like how much of that do you see when you're working with people that like you see, they work on themselves from a mental health aspect as a person and their athletic expression starts to match more with what their actual capacity is. That's a, that's a fantastic way of articulating it, working on the person first and then their athletic expression matches. Yeah. I see that. I mean, all the time. Um, and I can't speak to Johnny Menzel specifically because I don't know what contributed to his downfall other than, um, I think there's some pretty poor decisions, but that's one of the first questions that we ask people to get them to identify the difference between the high performers that last and those that don't is, you know, if you have two, um, 
two like NFL quarterbacks that have the exact same skill set. And one of them, you know, the exact same skill set when they're freshmen in college, like they're literally equal. Right. One of them ends up being drafted by the NFL and one of them doesn't. What's the difference? And people always come up with their confidence, their focus, their motivation, their attention, their determination, their resilience, all of these things that are mental tools, mental skills. Um, so that's what really why we work on those things. So specifically because they're controllable, you know, I, I can't give you a magic seltzer to make you six, six, right. <laughs> you know, um, that's or, way too tall for me anyway, you know, give, <laughs> I, I do come from the volleyball world where like height is better no matter what. Right. <laughs> but so that's the thing is, and we have to identify what contributes to us as people, the good and the bad. So we identify our strengths and we leverage them as people. You know, are are you an optimist? Are you solely focused on what you're doing? Very task at hand kind of person. You know, identify those strengths and really run with them. But we can't just do that. We have to also identify those, those points that really need encouragement and work. Um, and so much of that, and we've talked about this before, comes from any myriad of like magnitude of trauma. And, you know, it's not to say that, so I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist. I don't work in the clinical realm. Um, so when I talk about trauma, it's more about like my experiences of those that have gone through something difficult in their life and it was very formative to them. And it has then impacted the way that they see in and they see and exist in the world. So specifically like someone like you're so open about your past with bullying and how that has impacted you. And so many people experience that. And without identifying the harm that that did to your perspective on the world, you could never amend it. And and there's so many other kinds of trauma that people experience. They don't even realize like, you know, if you're not kid, there are some kids that if they're not picked up on time consistently by their grownups, then they have a lack of trusting people in authority. They don't feel like they're worthy of being taken care of. Or if someone experienced infidelity in a very um, formative time in their life, they might have a hard time trusting or even having a hard time, you know, identifying like self-worth. Um, if right. they, if someone has had a really toxic leader that, um, motivated through shame, oh, yeah, they might, ha- you know, experience a lot of shame. And because of that really tune other people out and aren't able to connect. And so there's, there's, there isn't a single person in the world that has a perfect mental foundation. We're all human we all, I don't even want to call them flaws, but we all have that humanity in us. And the most limiting thing that we can do as performers is not identify those things because then we can't do anything about them. Right. Um, you know, some examples of that are, you know, someone was bullied growing up, they might have taken to a sport and now they have really poor motivation sources. All they want to do 
is like prove other people wrong right. or even impress other people, even if they're, they're in a totally new environment, you know, they moved across the country. Um, they just want to prove their self-worth by being better than other people. Yeah. And right. That's going to, that that's super toxic as it is. And we can hear that and understand that it's toxic, but like, are we doing anything about it? You know, so we can, instead of being motivated to impress other people or only being motivated by comparison, shift that motivation source and have a goal that is positive and have, you know, what are the values that I have as a human? Are they positive values? Like, is it a good thing? And use that value and tie it to your behaviors. I am, you know, I, for example, you know, Max, might want to have an a 700 pound bench and maybe in the beginning he wanted to do that because he was bullied on the football team growing up and he couldn't bench the bar as a freshman and so now he's a 26 year old adult who wants to bench 700 and he's still thinking about those experiences and he is he's motivated by spite And that really only gets you so far. Yeah. So instead, I'm sure that Max has something in his life that he values, like legacy. Maybe he wants to leave a really good legacy for his family, for, you know, potential kids. You know, no longer does he want to bench 700 to prove those bullies wrong his freshman year of high school. Now he wants to bench 700 because he wants to leave a positive legacy or his family. Those positive sources of motivation when tied to those values that contribute to us as humans, like that make us who we are, that increases the like positive emotion that we experience, which increases our life satisfaction, um, which increases like our um, like perception of our life in general, like, like our perceptions of worthiness you know, but we can't identify that unless we identify like, you know, what's, what is that motivation strategy in the first place? And there's a whole list of how a specific trauma can lead to a lack of confidence and how that can impact our performance or, um, can like my example was, um, I thought about like being the best a lot. Like I always wanted to be the best at the things that I was doing in any room that I walked into. And so I would like walk into a gym and be like, that person's doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. I can't believe that form. Oh my God, they're going to hurt themselves. Like what the fuck are they thinking? Let's like, why would they ever do that? And then I realized like how distracting that was for me. And then I went to grad school and it was like, Oh, there's people have reasons for things. And even if 99% of the time, the reasons that people are doing things are like wildly off based me giving those people my attention and energy meant that my attention and energy wasn't going into my lifting. Yeah. And so I was letting other people impact my performances in the moment. So I had to learn how to ignore the surrounding people just so that I could focus on my own performance. It was a very selfish thing. Like I'm just had to tune out other people 
And then I started having a lot more compassion, like, wow, maybe that person just got done with physical therapy. And that's the only range of motion that they can hit. And it's a vast improvement that they had three months ago. Maybe this person is doing it that way because they have a very sport specific, something that they're working on. And in all reality, we don't have to know why people are doing things like it. It doesn't matter what we think about what other people are doing. And like, honestly, if you think that you're like, oh, no, I just want to like, I just want them to hurt themselves. You don't actually like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say that like, you don't actually care that much, but very rarely is that really what people think. It's like, it's us projecting our superiority or like our perceived superiority. So and that's my little rant about like <laughs> when, you know, when we don't identify our small traumas, we let them impact us. And then it has an impact on the things that we care about in ourselves and like, exp- like being good at the, perf- like the performances that matter to us. So we have to like take that work or like take the time, take the effort and look inward <laughs> so that we can make sure that those things are acting in our favor instead. Yeah. No, that's huge. I, I resonate with all of that so much as far as like my whole life experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially, you know, when I found the weight room and sports and stuff like that, I found, you know, a way to try to validate myself because I was bullied and I didn't feel like I had friends and I didn't feel like I was worthy. And finally, like, you know, playing football, like, oh man, I ran you over. I'm I, here I am superior to you. That made me feel good, mm-hmm. you know, as well as like, right. I had a place to get rid of the anger that was boiling inside of me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, same thing with lifting, but you know, it, that I, I talked about a lot in episode one, but when I hit 28 and I had this massive realization that, you know, none of this, none of this actually helped me be better for me in my own head, in my own mental health and stability. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, obviously that's where we're here today, but uh, it's created so much more joy and fulfillment in lifting for me to have this massive shift of why I lift. Right. And I don't lift for, other people's approval or anything like that. And like, I think about that and how important that journey has been for me recently too, so that I could like turn the ship around and have a good raw nationals this year so that I can go there and be surrounded by the sports elevation and almost being feeling like I'm being left behind a little bit. Like the sport is elevating in a way and I'm busting my ass out in the gym trying to get stronger and my placing continues to decline. And like, while that sucks, I'm also, I'm fine with it. I'm like, there's, there are definitely moments where I'm not fine with it. I can't, I can't lie. Um, but for the most part, 90% of the time I'm okay. And a lot of that is just because of the internal work and the internal validation that I have. You know, I talked about that with uh, Ian Bell a couple episodes ago when he was winning world championships and still not feeling like he was good enough until he finally lost and that external validation went away and he finally realized, wow, I need to do some work to have some internal validation and go through that process. 
Right. Uh, yeah, and- absolutely. Though it's <laughs> like, we talk about this concept of validation. Um, when I hear the term internal validation, I think of the concept of static self-worth that we do not have to prove our worthiness. We do not have to work towards it. We are worthy as we are period. We are worthy of belonging. We are worthy of happiness. We are worthy of life and a fulfilled experience. Full stop period. Um, yeah. But we can tell ourselves that over and over and over and <laughs> we might not believe it. What helps us believe those things is when we identify the values and strengths that we hold as humans and how they show up in our world. Mm. So if I value that I am kind and that, that really is what gives people worth to me. What's going to make me feel worthy is when I act with kindness, when I make decisions out of kindness. So if what makes us feel worthy is being the best <laughs> or being a champion and that doesn't happen, then of course we're not going to feel worthy. Right. But also being the best and being a champion involves other people and comparison. So if we want to feel consistent self-worth, then we need to identify those static things that exist in us and us alone and act on those things. Because if I, again, believe that I am worthy because I'm a kind person and then I go out into the world and I don't act with kindness, I can't lie to myself. I might like think I have confidence and I might act in a way that looks like confidence, but it's not going to be real. Right. So acting and behaving in line with our values and the things that we love and cherish about ourselves. That's what contributes to our self-worth regardless of being in the weight room. And the more that we do that, the more healthy approach that we have to lifting or whatever the performances that you have that matters. Right. And I, I like that because that hits on something I'd like to express too on like some realizations that I've had on this journey of, of healing and, and self-care and stuff like that is in doing that, I have, I finally like began to have a relationship with myself and actually know what those values and beliefs are. Um, whereas I feel like before it was a lot more of like, not like not ha- like it's, I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but more like relationship chasing and not necessarily like romantic relationships, but just like all romantic and friendships, but mm-hmm. doing so in a way that, you know, of I basically avoided the relationship with myself. I didn't spend time with myself. Even though there was a lot of times that I spent time alone, I was lonely because I didn't have the relationship with myself. Whereas I think when you're doing that work and you have that that space where you have that static self-worth, you're never like 
lonely. You can be alone, but you're not as lonely as what you were before because you always have yourself. Yeah, you're you're always in good company. Yeah, <laughs> because you're always there with yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the more that we are able to do that, um, and I'm saying this as an like the extrovert of extroverts, like I fucking love being around other people. Like that is how I energize. I love spending time with other people. I do. There are moments that I really like being by myself, mm-hmm. um, and like specifically being outside in nature. But um, any time that I'm feeling like I like I'm feeling good and I'm feeling my best. I'm, I reach out and I want to be with other people. I truly feel very, very powerful when I'm connecting with other humans in, in any way. And that's like, that's where I know that I'm at my best. Um, so that being said, as like the extrovert of extroverts, I have also learned to really appreciate my time by myself because I have been very deliberate in this journey of developing my self worth just based on the things that I really like about myself and then acting on those things. Right. And that like, I feel like this is kind of a new, new thing for me right now exploring. So there's kind of all kinds of wild ideas and thoughts going through my head that I I don't know that I've consciously had before. Um, But, but thinking about that, like it's more, I think that the quality of my relationship with myself has gone to one of good quality compared to one of <laughs> unexistence, right? Like it was definitely a very avoidance. I avoided myself and, uh, and mm. like I too am more charged by social events than I was before. And like, I don't, I don't need them. I don't, I'm not as extroverted like as you where I need that social interaction to really charge me up for life. Um, but they're not as draining as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to, to show up in them a lot more authentically. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of the same way. Like as, as somewhat of an introverted person, I escaped myself by self-loathing. Whereas somebody who might be more external, they can still escape themselves by soothing with too much people stimulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's like that opposite ends of the spectrum. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have, when we don't have the bravery to identify who we are because we're afraid that we might not like it, or we know that we don't like it. There is a million kinds of avoidance tactics. Like, right. We can hate ourselves without even knowing what's there because we're afraid to find it. We can go and find that, a like the experiences with others and say like well these people really like being around me so obviously i'm fine right so we do everything that we can to avoid that uh the really scary journey of like going inward um you know that's what we do it's how our brains protect themselves i like of course i love Brene brown and everything that she has talked about as far as authenticity and genuineness and the courage that it takes to you know mind that gap when we identify who we are and we recognize that it's not who we think we are and knowing that we are worthy of belonging regardless um but truly the we can only show up for other people as authentically as we show up for ourselves 
and other people can see it. Um, if, you know, if you're interacting with someone who, you know, doesn't have the coherence of identity, like recognition of self and actual self, we don't trust that person a whole lot, you know, and it's not just like trust them. Like you think that they're not going to like tell all your secrets, but we don't believe that they can be as consistent. Right. Like that kind of trust. So you're right. It, it can take any, any kind of form, like how important that relationship is with ourself and really being deliberate with having the, courage to look inward recognize who you are do it on purpose do the work um because it will show up in your performances yeah and help like help to develop those things that you really care about doing yeah i i agree it'll like and not just your athletic performances too but like your your performances at work your like if we were to label relationship or performance, but it'll show up in how you, how you show up in your, in your day in, yeah, in all absolutely. aspects. I mean, yeah, I, I, I have like a list of examples that I like wrote down beforehand of how some kind of um, like emotional or like trauma wound will lead to some kind of ineffective perception or belief in the world and the impact that can have on like our performance outcomes. You know, if uh, we have had someone or like we felt bullied by a group that can lead us to have really, really poor cohesion in a team and not want to fit in with a new team. And so we'll never do as well as we can or, like I said, someone who might have experienced infidelity in the past. So they don't feel like worthy of someone trust, you know, of of trusting someone or they don't feel worthy of a whole lot of love. They might have really poor boundaries. Yeah. And that might lead to like distraction or exhaustion and all of that. Big time, big time. I, that was a big part of my life before too. Like I, because I lacked Mm -hmm. the self-confidence and self-worth in relationships, I lacked all boundaries and just let myself mm-hmm. get walked all over. And totally, like, that's that's not fun. It's not it's not right. fucking. And fun. even on like and even on like the micro level, right? So if I am trying to people please everybody, so I have really poor boundaries. I am reachable at all times, and I feel the need to respond to every text. And I feel the need to show up for people at all times. So in like a very specific instance, during a workout, if I have set poor boundaries for myself and I feel reachable and I have to be reachable for everyone, I'm going to reply to every text because I have to show up for the people and I don't have strong boundaries. Then that training session, I'm never focusing on myself. I'm not taking those rests between sets to identify what can I work on in the next one? How did that one feel? Was that a true RPE? (laughs) Like, you know, an RPE eight, was it a seven? Was it a nine? Right. And, or I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted before my training session even starts because I've been running around trying to do everything and be everything for everyone. And I'm last. Right. You know, so there's this whole trickle down effect of how a, 
a very impactful moment impacts the way that we see the world and then it impacts how we exist in it. And that existence really impacts our performances and our training. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You brought up uh, people pleasing and that, that definitely is something that I've had to work on a lot, you know, because I, the, I, I suppose the the quickest summary of it is, you know, when you, you're young and you're being bullied and you don't have a lot of friends, like you think that that's a way to get friends is by doing things that make everybody else happy and pleasing them. And well, okay, so the more I do that, the more friends I'll have. And so that's been a big growth part of me is like, I got to be okay with pissing people off. <laughs> you know yeah and absolutely and realize that that's them that i can't take that on i can't take their emotions on i have to have emotional mm-hmm. responsibility and and also uh demand emotional responsibility such that i don't take on other people's yeah. emotions when i'm unable to meet their needs because they're outside of mm-hmm. my boundary or my ability or my my right. give a fuck <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. And that has to be okay for everybody. Exactly. Right. We have to be okay with disappointing other people. The last person that we should disappoint is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I did a lot of that growing up. Like, and I had this realization with a lot of that too, that like integrity is becoming like easily the most important, like trait, character trait aspect of me and my existence and like how do you go ahead and a lot of that i realized like i was not holding integrity for myself in the violation of boundaries all the time and and i didn't i didn't know that a lot i didn't know what boundaries were for a long time i I had no idea um but i i had this realization that i can't be a people pleaser people pleaser and be in alignment with integrity in the same space so how do you define integrity? Can I, should I Google that for the, for the actual like Webster no, dictionary? Like you. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, like you, so you said that like integrity is, you know, it's become like paramount importance to you. How do you define it? How do you know that you're being integritous? Um, a lot of it's, I suppose, just being honest, honest with myself, uh, saying what I mean, mean what I say acting in alignment with what I say and what I, what I'm saying, right? Like there are so many times in my life where say you did something that I, that upset me and you'd be like, I I wouldn't ever tell you, right? There's so many times when somebody would upset me and cross my boundary and I wouldn't speak it. I wouldn't say, Hey, here I have this boundary. Um, I, would appreciate some respect on that or, or I have to leave. Right. And I let people walk Mm. all over me and I lacked that, the, the honesty with myself. And so that's where I'm, that's what I want and to want to cultivate is that integrity with myself where I'm, where I'm honest with myself and honest enough with myself that I'm not going to be silent about it. Mm -hmm. And I can find Mm -hmm. a way to, have the conversation that needs to be had with somebody in a yeah. uh, productive manner. And I don't have to be, I don't have to 
hold it in, bottle it up, and then fucking explode. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So to act uh, for you, integrity is being honest with yourself, honest enough about what you need, and then acting on it. Correct. It- the. I ask that because I think that we people talk about integrity all the time of like acting with integrity, being honest Um, and honesty in and of itself is a value. Um, And we can also hold a lot of other values. And I don't know if you read untamed by Glennon Doyle, but she articulated integrity in a way that was really impactful for me. Um, she defined it as your values and your actions are integrated. They have like structural integrity. Right. And I, that really resonated with me because it's not just being honest. It's if you claim that generosity is important to you, then you need to act generously. Right. Right. You tip big, you give cash yeah, yeah. to like the Salvation Army people. You know what I mean? So we can't be integritous without first identifying what our values are. Right. For sure. So it's just, I, I really, I like that question a lot. Yeah. No, I definitely, I, I agree with that. And that's where like mm-hmm. the behaviors and actions align with what they are, you know, what the values are mm-hmm. and, and being, being yeah. that and expressing that. Um. Yeah, a a book that I just read that articulated that really well. Like there was a big section of it that just really resonated with me. Um, it's called Emotional Agility. Nice, I like that name by Susan David. <laughs> and it's not just about emotions. For those of you that are like afraid to recognize that you have emotions, <laughs> um, it's it's truly about like there's a really a solid piece about identifying what your values are and the courage that it takes to act on them and the importance of it. Um, really, really, really good read. If it's something that you're into. Yeah, no, I like the, I like the name of the emotional agility. Um, Mm -hmm. admittedly, that's definitely, um, I've called it different things like, uh, psychological flexibility, you know, um, but mm-hmm. like that's something flexibility in general, not of the physical nature, but of the mental nature is, uh, yes. like one of those areas that I'm, I'm working on for myself because I mm-hmm. recognize that, um, if, if like certain things don't happen in a certain way, a lot of times I struggle with it and I don't have the ability to, I don't have the ability to as easily switch gears as I want to. And so like that to mm-hmm. me is like part of the next step in evolution. And it's been really good for me. And it's been like, that's like working on that's been really wonderful because um, I, it was a couple weeks ago, I actually had a really big breakthrough for myself and connected with some things and had a big moment of just, just let it fucking go. <laughs> just set it down, let mm-hmm. it go and moved on. And like, it was a weekend when 
uh, both Vanessa and Rosalie were gone and I just, I had a really good weekend of being with myself and, and having a self care weekend, uh, and, and eating cold pizza, right. And eating cold pizza. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, like Vanessa noticed an immediate difference of my like calmer demeanor and energy. Like the second she came to walk through the door. And I mean, she's an energy reader. That's mm-hmm. a lot of what she does for a living is re- deal with people's energy. So like she can sense that shift and read that shift right away. And that's been really great for me because I like, I need to, I want to, I want to calm down. Mm-hmm. It, it helps me physically. If I calm down, it helps me mentally. I can adapt a lot easier. Um, in, Life just flows smoother. Yeah. So I'll definitely have to check that book out. Oh, it's a good one. It's good. And I mean, what's so wonderful is that you recognize the importance of it. Not only that it is important, like, but that it's also possible (laughs) that there are other responses in our lives other than like anger and less anger. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know? And so many people exist that way. Um, but to but to be deliberate in that process and practice that flexibility and the agility and recognize in those moments, this is not how I want to respond. How can I? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, in full transparency. So what it is for a lot of times for me, like, I'll get so mad at just the dumbest stuff, right? Like, if I'm cooking dinner and I, like, drop the spoon, I'll... I'll yell at the spoon, like yell at it literally. And like, God fucking damn it. And it's like, I get it from my dad. My dad was like that. Mm. Switch was just like that, you know? And and like, I've never looked at it as being bad, but I've, I see the way it impacts Rosalie. And I'm like, I don't want that for her. I need to take personal responsibility and and find what I need to find in myself to connect with it and put it down and walk away from it. And I can't keep blaming it on my dad that I got it from my dad. Like while there's right. influence from my dad, it is my choice to perpetuate it or not. Right. Didn't uh, I, I was listening to the podcast with your life coach this morning and didn't she say something to the effect of, we give credit to our parents for who we were. We have to take responsibility for who we are. Yeah. It's her, her life philosophy of we are who are, mm-hmm. we are, who are, we are who our parents made us or we were who our parents made us. We are who we choose to be and we will there be we basically a collective of what our choices are now. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, that was her little life philosophy and it was, uh, it's great. I, I really like it. Yeah. It's yeah. There, it's, and that's something too, especially in like, just like this, the performance psychology realm is having those um, like, you know, mottos or those phrases that are very impactful for us that resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who I was. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Um and really being deliberate with those things and tying those like mottos again to those values. Who do you want to be? What are the um, like trauma injuries that we need to heal 
you know, and then really being deliberate, that's a strategy that we can use to help heal those things. Um, like one of mine is tough people do tough things. And I consider myself a tough people. <laughs> and so if I have something <laughs> challenging happening in front of me, <laughs> then right. I, uh, then I'm like, okay, well, this is what you asked for. This is what you want. Tough people don't live soft and easy lives. Tough people do tough things. So you're going to do this and pair that with, you're also a high performer. You're not just going to do it. You're going to do it well. Right. And so I find myself really embracing these, these challenges, really embracing these moments of like, fuck, this really sucks. And like, for me, a light kind of turns on and it's like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you're welcome. The universe says you're welcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I have something similar too. I, um, a very long time ago, there's a, a riff in one of the Mudvayne songs, uh, and he, the words just strength to be driven. And that's always resonated with me. And mm -hmm. like, that's the tattoo that I have on my bicep. And I think about that when, you know, when training's tough, like, oh man, this sucks. I don't want to do it. No, dude, this, like keep going, embrace that suck. You got the mm -hmm. strength to be driven. Let's go. Right. So it's, it's neat that you have something yeah. very similar. Well, it's, it's those things like the simplicity of those words can be very, very impactful to us. Um, I was talking to one of my athletes the other day about how, she has those mottos that she really comes to and how they, the simplicity of it means that it can fit lots and lots of situations and it can really like drive the characteristic that you're trying to develop in yourself. So, I mean, not that you asked for my advice and I'm sure that Vanessa has, is working with you on like the emotional flexibility right. and stuff, but you know, our, our brains don't recognize the like the word don't or like the avoidance things so if i say like don't think about a pink elephant in green shoes like it's the first thing that comes to your mind if the immediate reaction that you have you don't like the automatic thought being don't react that way <laughs> like it isn't really helpful because right. it's forcing our brain to think about reacting that right. way so instead of being like i i will not be angry in this don't be angry having like, you know, flipping that to be patient or, you know, like you said, be open or whatever and identify what is the success that I'm trying to pursue rather than what is the failure I'm trying to avoid. Those behaviors become much more specific and much more like just shaped to our goals, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like habits. You, you mm -hmm. don't just get rid of it you have to replace it with something yeah exactly yeah. yeah identifying what you're going to do having a statement in the affirmative rather than in the negative or the avoidance yeah yeah for sure i i definitely i i agree and that's definitely helpful um i want to be mindful of your time and we're getting getting rolling here but before we go i want to find out for you from you too like uh, I'd like to end every episode with a, a go-to self-care tool. What is, what is your go-to self-care tool? Nature. Nature. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I, I love nature. Going. What about it? Outside, going outside. Um, 
I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. Just we are so connected. Um, like every life form on earth is carbon based and we exist in the same existence and really just being present with like fresh air and every living being that is out there and knowing that millions and millions and millions and millions of years have created this system and knowing that in every, every moment is so purely unique that I mean, like there's like the stoic saying that um, a man never steps in the same river twice because humans are constantly developing and changing and the water is always flowing in the river, knowing that every moment is so incredibly beautiful because it is the only one that will ever exist like it. Um, So my self-care is being outside and really like reflecting on the uniqueness of each moment and each like small little ecosystem, like just little space in like the fresh air and you know, it's, it's green outside in the Midwest. I'm from California. So like watching the waves, every single wave is different. Millions and millions, billions of years, billions of waves. And there's never been one that was the exact same. Um, I just find so much beauty and like fullness from that thought. So yeah, that's, that's my, my self care tool. Even when it's fucking freezing outside, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a person that grew up in the cold. You're from Alaska. What the fuck? Like (laughs) it's right. um, Even when it's snowy outside going outside and like, just like, stepping into the really deep snow and like seeing how deep it is. That's, that's my self care. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. I really, I really like the way that you described it. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I totally agree. It's so diverse. I, that's, I, nature is definitely a big self care tool for me. Uh, in fact, I went and meditated on the deck in the woods prior to starting this recording because I felt like, nice just felt that need and I had the time. So I was like, yes, let's go, let's go do this. And uh, I love visualizing the molecular exchange of carbon dioxide and uh, oxygen between me and the trees. And like, that's so like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just, it's very enriching and energetic and feels so good. And Mm -hmm. I, I can't also help but mention uh, the episode with Connor Ryan, episode 10, Reconnecting with Indigenous Roots. Definitely, I'd encourage you to check that out and anybody else listening, check that out in terms of nature. He's got uh, some of the indigenous perspectives on nature is just super cool, really in alignment with that idea of of that and how we are the molecular exchange. So, yeah, yeah it's super cool. How can anybody out there listening connect with you if they'd like to reach out. Yeah, I would, I would love that. I mean, we all know that I'm like the extrovert of extroverts. I love hearing from people. Um, and I also do like, you know, sport and performance psychology consulting and all of that. Um, so I do have a very 
baby infant website because while my experience is long, my uh, life in technology is not. <laughs> um, but you can go to recordperformance.net. Um, you can email me at Shana, S-H-A-I-N-A, at recordperformance.net. You can find me on Instagram at Shay Record. Um, if you've got a carrier pigeon that can make it to Illinois, <laughs> give that a whirl. Right. <laughs> I would love to hear from you. <laughs> For sure. And I'll definitely yeah. be sure to post all that stuff in the episode notes so people can find that stuff easier as well. Thanks. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. I, this was you're the best. It was it was great. I really appreciated your time. I loved hearing your perspective on all things and I wish you a good day. Thanks. Same to you. A quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist. I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gaitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. And now you're out on your own, getting farther from home. And everywhere, everywhere you see hurting and strife. People cling to your light, but no one sees you. No one sees you keep your Give yourself away.